Good morning, Hope Church. It's really great to be with you again this morning. Let's start with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. Father, we thank you that you lead us forward day by day, moment by moment. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your encouragement and your strength into our hearts. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we thank you and we praise you. And we ask this morning as we look at your word, would you speak to us? Would you help us? Would you strengthen us in your mighty name? Amen. Well, we come now to our last session. So this is, I think, session nine, and this is the conclusion to our series. Uh, I know it has been a challenge. I know there are many challenging things as we looked at the letters to these seven churches, but there's also a tremendous amount of encouragement that comes out of it. So we've journeyed around seven churches. Is there an overall conclusion that we can draw from this journey? Well, I think there is. Let me make a few observations this morning. You know, there are seven churches listed here. We went to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. Each church received a letter. The letter was very specific to the church. And yet, at the end of each and every letter, we find these words. It's first written in Revelation 2.7. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. This phrase is present in every single letter to each church. And even though these letters are specific to each church because they highlight specific things, it, this highlights that they are also to the church in general. That is Christ's body everywhere. In their context, these letters were all read out at every church. Because of our postal system, we may think that each letter arrived separately at each church, but it was not so. All these letters were essentially one long letter read to each and every church. Can you imagine that? Sitting through the letters to the other churches, waiting for your letter to be read. After the first letter, I'm sure we would be sitting there on tender hooks. And yet the refrain that I've mentioned at the end of each letter stopped church comparisons. It wasn't about what Jesus was saying to one church or the other, whether he was being harsher or whether he was more commending. It was about Jesus speaking to his whole body. Remember, there is one body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 18 to 20 tells us, but our bodies have many parts and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. There might be many expressions of God's body, but there is one global church. Jesus reminded the church to whom the letter was addressed. He was saying that anyone who has ears to hear must listen to what the Spirit uh, is, sorry, must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. It was a plural. He is talking to all the churches. Each church would have understood the message it received. But what is the wider message that these letters give us? 
Jesus's statement was encompassing. It was to the whole church. What was the Spirit saying to the whole church? And the obvious first thought here is that it is one church. Maybe seven letters have gone out, but it is to a single church that Jesus is really speaking. It is his global church that he is speaking. Even though there are expressions of that one church in different locations, in Jesus's eyes, it is one church. Now, all these seven churches existed within a radius of less than 100 miles. They were not distant churches. They had a relatively close proximity and they were neighbours together. I don't know how much connection they had with one another, but I can imagine that those that were closer to one or the other church had some form of reciprocal relationship. And so the first lesson that we learn out of all of these letters together is that we are part of one single church. The second thing that I think comes out of these letters is that the churches around the other churches would have been best placed to help them. Living in the kingdom of God is not a solo event. As we have said, the church is Christ's body. We are in this together. Paul said to the Galatian church in Galatians 6 verse 2, share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. So the second lesson is that we are here to help one another. It's great that the church reaches out to the world, but our first responsibility is to one another. After all, we are part of one Christian family. This does not mean that we neglect those outside the church, but we have to care for our body first. Why is that? If our body is not healthy and fit, we cannot help anyone around us. Over the years, I've done more than my share of flying. And if you've ever been in an aeroplane, the first thing that happens is the flight attendant goes through some of the emergency procedures should they occur. And one of those procedures is they tell you that if an oxygen mask is released, you must first secure your own oxygen mask before you help anybody else. Why is that? Well, if you lack oxygen, you're going to pass out and you will have uh, no possibility to help others. You know, in our enthusiasm to run out the door and to help other people, we can sometimes ignore those that we live with. I've heard more than one tale of woe from pastors who had time for everyone except their own immediate family. And this has led to resentful children and marriage breakups. The encouragement in these letters is that they are not in this alone. Jesus is with them and just down the road may be another Christian family who can help you in a difficult circumstances. What an amazing thing as these letters were read that these seven churches knew that they could help one another, that they could strengthen one another, they could encourage one another. And I think that's part of what we need to take away from these letters, not just that there was rebuke and commendation individually for each church, but that in all of them, reading all of the letters and in the spirit addressing it, to the global church, there would have been a rallying around to help one another through these challenges. The third lesson to learn is that forewarned is forearmed. 
The Bible tells us of a parable in which Jesus said, this is Luke 12, 39, understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would not permit his house to be broken into. It's really important that if we know something, we can do something about it. Knowing what Jesus commended and rebuked in these churches means that we can avoid the same errors and we can receive the same commendation. All we need to do is apply the lessons learned. Now this can be a bit of a sticky point. We often don't like to be told what to do and we often don't listen very well in what we should be doing. And the, the tragic history of humanity shows that we sometimes don't learn well from the lessons in our past. But if we do what Jesus says, Revelation 2.7, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches, then we will get through. There is a key here that is twofold. We need to be listening and we need to understand what we're listening to. We have to become good listeners. We need to ensure that we are understanding the things that we are told or that we read through Scripture. Now, here's a great encouragement that in John 16, 13, we read this about the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. So what have we learned from these seven churches? Well, let's list the things that Jesus was happy with, and then we can list the things that he wasn't happy with. I want to have a look at the things that Jesus rebuked the church for and the things that he commended them and how he encouraged them. So we're going to start first with the negative. What are the things that Jesus wasn't happy with with these seven churches? Well, in Ephesus, it was a lack of love. They had stopped loving Jesus and each other as they used to love him when they first came to faith. The second rebuke was to do with compromise with the world. This was a, a, a rebuke given to Pergamum and Thyatira. They were tolerating false teaching and worse still, they were obeying it. And that compromise was so that they would be financially secure and that they would be socially accepted. Jesus rebuked that. The third rebuke was about complacency. Complacency about Jesus's commands. This was given to the church in Sardis. They were not disciples and they were not living in the kingdom. The fourth rebuke was about self-sufficiency. Also the church in Laodicea. The fifth was indifference to Jesus. Also the church in Laodicea. The sixth was about trusting in wealth. Again, another rebuke to the church in Laodicea. The seventh was about Jesus not being in the center of the church. This was again to the church in Laodicea. And the image that we were given is that here is Jesus standing outside of his church, knocking on the door, looking to get in. Now, I don't want you to be depressed 
about these rebukes and warnings, but I want you to take heed of these warnings. I want you to be forearmed with these warnings. If we ensure that our lives are free from these seven things, we know that we are heading in the right direction. So how did Jesus commend and encourage. Let's look at the positives that he gave. And I'm only going to mention the four that come here. The first encouragement is about faithfulness. Jesus commended the church in Ephesus for being hardworking, faithful and patient. Uh, he also commended the church in Thyatira, saying that they were improving in their love and in their faith and their service and in their patient endurance. You know, if we get involved in working hard, being faithful and patient, loving one another, being faithful in service and patient and endurance, then Jesus will commend us when he returns. The second thing that Jesus commended for was when they held to the truth that Jesus gave. The church in Ephesus did not put up with false teaching. They checked it out. Is this what the Bible is really teaching? And if it was false, it needs to be cast out. The third commendation was about enduring suffering and martyrdom. Jesus said to them, do not be afraid in the face of suffering or martyrdom. He said this to the church in Smyrna. This is not something we currently face, but it is something that we need to take heed of and prepare ourselves for. The last one really covers a whole number of things. I've called this, this is point four about Jesus' commendation, allegiance to Jesus. Jesus commended them for their allegiance to him. How was that demonstrated? Well, in Pergamum, by remaining loyal to Jesus. In Pergamum and also Philadelphia, about them not denying Jesus. In Philadelphia, it was about them obeying Jesus's word. You know, these commendations are tremendous things for us. We need to look and say, yeah, let's be faithful. Let's hold on to truth. Let's endure suffering and let's make sure that we are fully in allegiance with Jesus Christ. The final point about Jesus's encouragement was that even for the churches that got everything right, it did not mean that they would have an easy life. And I think in the Western world, we need to really grapple with this. Following Jesus, being part of church, uh, being part of his body does not mean that we have an easy life. Jesus never promised it. In fact, Jesus said often the opposite, through many troubles we must enter the kingdom of God. And that should be an encouragement to us. You know, historically there has been teaching in the church that if things are going wrong in your life, you don't have enough faith. Well, the Bible doesn't talk like that. Faith often means that we endure hardships and it becomes an encouragement to us knowing that the troubles we are going through, others have gone through before us. And we are encouraged because Jesus walks with us and he leads us by his spirit. You know, as we conclude this morning, we really begin to see that what the Spirit is saying to the churches is not rocket science. We really know all of these things, certainly if we've been believers for a number of years. What is a challenge for us is putting it into practice. 
These challenges are as much for us today as they were 2,000 years ago for these seven churches. And not only do they come as a warning as we have seen, but they also come as a tremendous promise. It's an everlasting promise. This promise is for this life and the next. It is a promise that says in this life we can enter into God's kingdom and we can live there in this life and we will live there in the next life, part of God's kingdom. I do wish that I could preach a gospel of no effort and ease, but Jesus never preached such a gospel. I'm encouraged by these letters. They give me a clearer picture of what Jesus is saying to us today. They give us a clearer purpose as we move forward as part of Christ's body. Yes, they challenge, but they also bring hope. They draw us into the presence of Jesus. To this end, we will focus. To this end, we will move because Jesus gives us hope. So what does this mean for us in our context? Well, we come to the end of this series and we're going to begin to unpack what the gospel is and what it means to live in the kingdom. I'm looking to do that as we move forward. Now, before we finish, I just want to share a brief word about how we move forward. In looking at the seven churches, there is one thing that stands out really clearly. It is not a letter that was addressed to leadership. Even though it says to the angel, it says anyone who has an ear must listen. These letters were to the whole church. They were to each and every person that was part of that particular fellowship. They were written by Jesus to all of those who are part of his body in that location. The word he uses, as I've already mentioned, is anyone. Jesus expects each one of us to be active in his body. It's not a few of us doing the work. It's not a few of us operating in spiritual gifts. It's also not about the leadership telling people everything that they must do, but it is about the Holy Spirit guiding the church through the gifts that he has given. I want you to think back for a moment to the book of Acts. Paul and Barnabas's missionary work was not the result of their own choosing, nor was it a result of a leadership council deciding that this is what needed to be done? Their missionary work was a result of the Holy Spirit working through his spiritual gifts as the church was gathered together. Let me read you from Acts 13 verse 1 to 3. Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas uh, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. You know, we need to get back to this. We need to get back to allowing the Spirit of God to speak through his people and lead us in what we should do. You know, I am greatly encouraged because I believe God has great things for Hope Church. 
but it is not something that needs to be defined by a leadership council. It is as we gather together and each of us uses our spiritual gifts, I honestly believe the Holy Spirit will direct us into everything that we should be doing. When we look at 1 Corinthians 14, which talks about worship together, this is what it says from verse 26. Well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When you meet together, one will sing, another will teach, another will tell some special revelation God has given, one will speak in a language, and another will interpret what is said. But everything that is done must strengthen all of you. And I want to lay out before you that when we come back and we resume our meetings in our building, we will look at doing this kind of a thing. We will look at gathering and giving space for each person present to be able to use their spiritual gifts. We are looking at the Holy Spirit directing what we do, and I believe he will do it through the gifts that he has given uh, to us. Now, this means that we are all important. You know, not only are you loved, but God has placed you in Hope Church with just the gifts he has given you so that the Spirit can use you to help us work out what Hope Church should be doing. I would encourage you over these weeks to seek God, to ask God to sharpen your spiritual gift, to deepen your spiritual gift, to ask him to help you and to ask him to use you, especially as we begin to gather back together. I am so excited about the times ahead when we meet together because I believe God will lead us forward powerfully in a way we've not seen because he has a plan for each and every one of us and for Hope Church. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you. Thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, that you tell us what we shouldn't be doing and what we should be doing, but you don't make it complex. It is easy to understand. And Father, I pray you would help us. Help us to avoid the pitfalls that these seven churches went into. And Father, help us to do the things that you commended the churches for. And Father, I pray as well, would you encourage us in spiritual gifts? I pray for those watching today, part of Hope Church, if you don't have a spiritual gift, I want to pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal to you what gifts he has given you. And so, Father, we look forward to getting back together. We look forward to the tremendous things that you will do as we meet together. So, Lord, I bless you. I thank you. I praise you. And Lord, I ask that you would continue to lead us in victory. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a really great day.